Hello, and welcome to the Big Fish Podcast. I am your host, Sigur Fisher, and today I am really excited to sit down with Neve Muldoon, who is an incredibly accomplished information security expert and has led global security and trust initiatives across various industries. As the current CISO at Finergo, she oversees all security-related matters for the SaaS Financial Technology Solution. Neve is a very passionate uh, cybersecurity professional and actively gives back to the industry through lecturing, serving on the ISC Squared Scholarship Review Panel, and holds a board member position at FIT, which stands for Fast Track into Information Technology. Uh, fun fact, she is also a Guinness World Record holder for most views of cybersecurity awareness training on YouTube in 24 hours. I am so excited to have you on the show, and mainly because it's very rare, at least in my 11 years in the cybersecurity world, that you get to speak to a female CISO, um, which is a little sad that that's the case. So I'm very honored to have you here today. Neve, welcome to the Big Fish Adventures in Tech podcast. Cigar, thank you so much for having me here. Again, just like uh, the way I have so many years experience in the industry, I'm super excited to see your product offering and what it brings to me as a CISO in the industry. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. So I guess to that end, um, just kind of going, you know, rewinding, what were the first inclinations growing up or what were kind of the first signs that you were going to gravitate towards this profession? Was it something that you knew at a relatively young age or is it something that like a lot of folks you just happened to stumble on and make a career out of? Oh my God. Yeah. So you're probably going to laugh at this, but as a, as a child, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Um, I, my dad was a detective in the guards in Ireland, which is the police force in Ireland. So, yeah, he would have been um, somebody I would have looked up to, as well as my uncle, who was big in the technology space. But surrounded by boys, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Um, I went to a convent school where you didn't study science or you didn't study technology. I was good at maths, so um, the teachers were encouraging me to go into business. I did um, get a degree in economics as my undergrad. And during that time, I got the opportunity to work in Boston in Massachusetts Institute of Technology, um, testing a system there uh, one summer. And that's really where my love for technology started. From that, I came back to do a higher diploma in information technology and went into the bank um, as a graduate on the graduate program as a Lotus Notes developer. And within two weeks of being there, September the 11th happened, and I was asked to join the security team to help them come up with innovative ways of get of securing mobile devices. Now, I'm really going to show my age here, though. Those technologies back then were PDA devices, uh, laptops, which we still have, and uh, mobile phones. And I came up with a way to get your email securely on a mobile phone that was used by the CEO of the bank at the time, Michael Buckley, the executive team. It predated um, BlackBerry. And so that was where my love for information security started and grew from then. Um, I was the first person in Allied Irish Banks to to 
basically have a career in cybersecurity that I went in as a graduate and the COO of the bank at the time, Marcel McCann, was somebody that really helped me grow my career and, and he helped me get the career path in place for me and other fellow uh, bankers or technology bankers to study cybersecurity. I stayed there for 12 years, um, loved every single minute of it, got many opportunities to work with innovative technologies new regulations coming in around data and business operations and had a great opportunity to work with amazing people. I'm like nodding my head yes because it's funny because when I was my younger self I thought I was going to major in cross-country running in in college um, when I was a very young Sager so um, the fashion <laughs> the, so is that still a part of your life like do you still have an interest or that or how did you kind of you know let put that dream aside and um, decided that this is the path that you wanted to forge ahead on? Yeah, I I was studying uh, fashion design when I was working. Um, and then I had to put my head into the CISSP, which you know is a very mm. grilling exam for a cybersecurity professional. Mm. I used to have to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning and study for about um, four hours before I'd go in to do my day-to-day -day job in, in the bank. So I guess that's where I the the fashion took a sidestep um, and I re really never got back into it because my cybersecurity passion grew from there. Sure. Yeah. And back when you were first getting into the industry were, and this is probably a leading question, I think we probably know the answer to this, but were there a lot of other women that you could, you know, look up to and mentor or were you kind of on your own at that point as far as you know, being the only female in cybersecurity? I, I was literally on my own, the only female in cybersecurity. I'd go to conferences um, and nobody would talk to me, uh, being the only girl there. I remember I went um, on a training course in, in the UK for a week and then in the US. And I remember noticing the difference in the US. Um, at least some of the cybersecurity professional the men would talk to me, but nobody talked to me for the whole week in the UK. Wow. So you were saying that in the United States, there was a little bit more welcoming, welcoming atmosphere than in the UK? Uh, for sure. Um, and I think it was just cybersecurity wasn't a profession in the UK. It wasn't a profession in Ireland. People fell into it. It was part of people's day job where the US was definitely ahead of the curve. They had ISC squared was established there. Uh, people around Europe went to the US to study for for the various different qualifications in ISC squared. And the main one at the time was CISSP. Uh, but there was people choosing cybersecurity as a career then. Um, and that, that being the difference nowadays, oh my God, it's, it's completely different, obviously. Um, just, just to call that out, I don't want anybody thinking um, that's still the case from an R R Irish or UK perspective. And if I'm if I'm totally honest, there have been uh, women in the industry that even though they they say that they support other women, I haven't. I've had personal experiences where they've actually been harder on on me and been harder on women in their career. And when I challenged one lady in particular in the bank, when I challenged her about it, she said, "Um, I needed to put you through the test to know that you have what it takes to be." successful in the industry. Now, do you, looking back, is that 
you know, sort of a, a mentoring ship strategy that you can understand now? Or would you think, you know, we need to kind of change that and be more, I don't know if welcoming is the correct word, but, you know, um, more nurturing perhaps? Or do you think that kind of hard line was really helped you move forward in your career? I think that hard line really helped me from for, just for my own personal career. It helped me build that resilience uh, that I needed when, you know, you get the hard conversation or the hard knocks. Yeah. So when you are confronted with a really challenging, stressful situation, what's your approach? Like, how do you, you know, go about problem solving in your day to day as a CISO? Yeah, that's a great question. And and so it really depends on the person uh, because it's really understanding and knowing the person that you're dealing with is what makes you successful. And so really for me, when there there has been um, stressful situations, maybe where there's not so good behaviors, it's not reacting, staying present uh, and really listening, active listening that has really enabled me to drive the business to support me making the right business decision uh, to move the organization forward and staying very professional. And I really do think, and not to, you know, super overgeneralize here, but I do think that that is a super power of females in general is that ability to really take a pause and listen. I always try when I'm approaching a problem to understand that there's a reason why everyone is the way that they are and to really keep that in mind. Um, you know, not to judge situations by how someone reacts in that split second, but really, you know, kind of take a step back. So I do think that that is a is a quality that I really admire um, in female leadership for sure. And really, it's it's that diverse um, background that you want. Uh, the way um, somebody described it to me years ago is it's like a beach ball. Everybody sees a situation from a different color or a different angle. And it's leveraging all of those angles and those colors together that enables you to make the best informed decision for the organization at that time. So everybody has an equal voice and an equal opportunity. And it's how you leverage that room to really help you and support you in those crisis situations, in those stressful situations. Um, and it's really the core of the culture of an organization. Because it really is, this is said so much, but it really is, you know, a team sport. You're only as strong as your weakest link, right? And so it really does need to be. And that's what I love about our industry so much. I'm very someone, I'm very much so someone that is, you know, motivated by that, that team atmosphere. And so it's really hard to get, you know, cultivate that kind of um, culture for sure, because we're all our, you know, our unique snowflakes. Um, so the fact that that's something that you're very cognizant of is incredibly powerful for the organizations that that you support and that definitely shines through and that definitely came through with the research that I was that I was doing before this conversation. Thank you. I won't lie to you. I want to keep uh companies and organizations moving forward and I I, I love solutioning but you know a, a, as a role in my role as a CISO it, it's that cultural it's bringing everybody on board on the journey together. And yes during those stressful situations, and I've been in many of them throughout my career, where a decision isn't being made, I'll make that decision to the best of my ability to protect the organization, because that's my role. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back before 
you took on the role as CISO, are there any mistakes that you made along the way or anything that you would do differently? Uh, You know, some wisdom that you can impart on folks who are, you know, just getting started in their career in tech or thinking about going down this path that you can spare them from making themselves? Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I have a few in my mind, like, you know, don't be afraid to ask dumb questions would be mine and be vulnerable because everyone, you know, chances are there's somebody else in the room that's going to want to be asking the same question, right? But yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty loaded question. Yeah. So if I look back at my career, I'm in my career uh, 22 years now in information security and cybersecurity. And really the one thing I would say is, is never be afraid. Always take opportunities. The landscape changes all the time and, you know, niche skill sets and expertise are constantly growing and evolving. Um, I stayed in AIB for, for 12 years of of my career and I great, got great opportunities because I was ke- I kept myself moving forward. And I, I think that is the one learning is that to keep yourself moving forward, keep learning. Yeah, uh, we all make mistakes. I make mistakes every single day. I'm human, but I learn from them. And I, lear- I, I t- look at every single day as a great learning opportunity for me, for my team, what I can bring to the organization um, and how how you can help uh, organizations to continue to move forward about risk-based decisions. And I think you have to keep with that learning mindset. Um, I'm reading a lot about positive intelligence and it's, it's based on doing daily reps that keep you on top of, of your expertise or keep you present. And, and I think as a CISO, just because I am at that level, um, doesn't mean it, it's a tick in the box and I, I don't have to c- keep myself alert and learning on the different uh, threats that people face um, or that the organization faces or how I approach uh, business or technical decisions. And so that's the way I approach my day. As a female in the industry, I definitely was always seen as the underdog in the earlier start, in the earlier years of my career. And I think that underdogness stayed with me and I show up every day as the underdog. And I think that's really what helps me keep my leading edge. That's so interesting. So what do you think there is a certain, you know, way that you were bought up or there's, you know, that you can pinpoint that gives you kind of that that growth mindset? Is it something that you've learned over time? Did you have parents that helped shape you, you know, to, to have that kind of growth mindset? Or where do you think that comes from? I, I grew up with four brothers. And mm. uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, four brothers. And my dad was very successful, uh, had a very successful sporting career. And so did my mother, actually, she managed um, male football teams. Um, and many of the players that she coached from the age of four onwards are ne- uh, played for Dublin, uh, county teams in GAA. So I think my brothers, each of my four brothers are very different. You know, I've got one great a- in academics, another one a brilliant in finance, asset management. Um, my little brother, uh, Barry, is is brilliant all-rounder, sporting, coaching, technologist. And then my brother, Jonathan, is is brilliant with people. So I learned from all of my brothers. And so it was a combination of that, wanting to 
to be like them that helps for me who I am. My parents always raised me that anything my brothers could do or were doing, I was doing. So we were off they were off playing football in America as teenagers going off on their J1 visas to America. I was doing the exact same thing. And even you probably read this at the age of 17 and um, <laughs> I shaved my hair, my head, all my hair off. Um, so I was just like them. There were, there's a picture of the five of us all together. And it, I, I just like what looked like one of them, one of the little boys, one of the boys. That's amazing. It's it's so fascinating to me how you can have, you know, these, you know, siblings that you grew up with, but you can all have such different interests. And obviously, you come from a very accomplished family, um, which really helped shape, you know, who you are today. So that's, you know, hugely impactful, obviously. But on the days where it's really hard, you know, those really hard days, because we all in this industry, it's, you know, uh, you know, we were called into the office on a Saturday or Sunday, how do you keep that positive perspective and that growth mindset and not feel defeated? I think it's my passion. I'm really passionate about about what I do. And I eat, drink and sleep it. So I I show up with that passion. Yeah, do I get sometimes I do get tired and it's it's the little hug that I get or the hug I get from from my son Crean or my partner Mark or, you know, his his little messages to me about about what I do and they just keep you going. And it's it's known that that we're helping um which I guess helping organizations, helping individuals it is what's core and giving back to the industry that's been so good to me. Yeah, it really is an incredibly rewarding and fulfilling career. And I guess when I first got into it, I didn't really look at it as, you know, I kind of just looked at it as products and and I didn't really have the perspective that you're actually protecting someone. Um, you know, when you're you're supporting a hospital or, you know, whatever organization is, like there's a person on the other side of that that you're protecting. And when you look at it from that perspective, it doesn't make you know, it makes, I guess what I'm trying to say, the long hours that you put in um, all the more worth it, right? And it took me a while to kind of link those two together and, and have that perspective. Um, so it really is an incredibly rewarding career in that regard, I think. And that's definitely what keeps me wanting to continue to learn and hone my skills and, and get better. And be part of something at a, at a global level. It's, you know, if you look at cybersecurity professionals, uh, we all, what do we all have in common? And, you know, the forums, the industry, going to conferences, the meet and greets. Um, like we, we spoke about cybersecurity intelligence, like the sharing of that. You know, I'd have people that would reach out to me and, you know, have chats about different things that are going on uh, at the moment to look for my input and advice. And, and so that's a great commonality to have. And, and that, it can be based in Ireland, it can be based in the UK, across Europe, the US, Australia, and and share the same commonality. And that's something amazing to be part of something great like that. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned as a CISO, specifically at Venergo, where you are now, that you can share with folks? Lessons in relation to uh the industry is is that you have to think about it at a global scale. You can act locally, but be thinking globally. Yeah, absolutely. And as a as a leader, kind of, what are some of the the biggest lessons that you've learned? 
my people, my team come first and it's really spending the time with your team is critical and allowing them come together as a team to talk and discuss different aspects because working, hearing everybody's voice and everybody's input really enables you to make the best decision for the organization and the culture that where you're working. Um, like I re recruited, I, I started off with a, a team of four people and now we're 14. Um, and some of the, the new people that came onto the team in the last 12 months, they say, I never spoke to the CISO in my last organization at all. I never even saw them. I just got an email and I'm like, what? And so to me, it, it's really important if you've got somebody showing up every single day for you and they're putting in their time, it's to value them and to give them the time back. And it might, you know, it might be a quick conversation here and their input, seeing where they want to go with their career, making sure they're okay on a, on a, on a weekly call. They all add up. And if I look back in my career, it's the people that gave me those times, those little snippets that really made the difference. And really stood out and it was those people that I always went the extra mile for. Yeah. And you you never know whose day you're gonna change by carving out that time, whether it's five or ten minutes or thirty minutes. I think we all just get so, you know, on autopilot, but you never know whose day you're gonna change by taking the time to sit down when you you observe that they're they're having a rough go of it. Um, and I think that that we need to do more of that in in all industries, not just our industry, but specifically on our industry, because it's just, you know, go, go, go all the time. Yeah. Um, and at the start of COVID, one thing I did with my team was uh, we we did this personality type of, of test or assessment, uh, the PI index is known as. And I really got to know the types of personalities and natural personalities my team members were. And that really supported me during COVID because he was more introverted, he was more extroverted. It just enabled me to be aware of that and make sure I was connecting with people that was natural for them and making sure that they felt part of the team and belonging. And when I spoke to other CISOs across Europe and the US, that was the one challenge that they were having was understanding their team. There was people um, leaving the industry, not able to cope with, you know, uh, the COVID situation and being based home all the time or not connected to their team. Um, and actually a couple of CISOs um, thanked me uh, about bringing their awareness to those personality tests and how it helped um, them manage difficult situations with some of their team members. I'm literally like nodding emphatically because it took me so long to, I'm, I'm never going to be the first person that's going to raise their hand in the room. I have to sit back and take information in and then I'll get back to you in two to three days with my thoughts. Um, and I used to think, you know, all through, and I don't know if this is the same in, in Ireland, but all through, you know, my, my youth, it was, well, Sager doesn't participate enough. And I used to think that there was something wrong with that. And and now I'm like, look, I'm not just going to speak for like talking sake. I'll, I'll raise my hand and I'll talk when I have something to say. Um, and it took, I'd say well into like my, my thirties to just be okay with that's not who I am. I'm never going to be the person that's, that's the talking head in the room. And that's not to say that that approach is wrong. It's just, I, I take a little bit longer to go and process information. So I think you doing that is just 
so helpful for folks like me that are, you know, like to be in the background a little bit and, and take things, you know, information and, and sit with it. Oh, that's so funny, Singer, that you say that because my school report would have been very different. It would have been Neve tries hard. <laughs> <laughs> tries hard. Um, and actually, if you look, if I look back at that, you know, and I often think about it, the fact that I well, I do try hard and I don't give up, is that the reason and that supported me to get to where I want to be? And I am very extroverted, as you can tell, and I love to talk. But a lot of times in my career, I was the only information security person in the role, and I was constantly having to go out and talk and educate people on what information security is all about. So I was going those extra miles. And yeah, I don't know if that was my natural personality that helped me get to where I am today, or was it always meant to be? Yeah, just the acknowledgement, though, that there's other people out there that approach a problem differently that you or have a different process, I think is we need to do more of that in the workforce. And to your point, uh, you know, to, to bring more folks into the, the cybersecurity and technology fold, because obviously we're all very painfully aware that there's this huge, you know, deficit in our industry. And that's kind of the, the genesis of this podcast is to share stories like yourself to in the hopes to, to make it a more welcoming and approachable, you know, um, journey to venture on. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so I, I see it on the board of a company called Fast Track Your Career into IT. And it's it's based here in Dublin, Ireland. And it's all about retraining people, giving them cybersecurity apprenticeships and allowing them grow their career from that. And it, I, I do a lot of talks about what is information security. It's people related, it's process related, and it's technology related. And so people have a vision in their head of what it is. And it turns out it's not actually that at all. If you like finance, if you like working with people, if you like educating people, if you like analyzing all of those skill sets, all of those competencies, if you like writing, that's all what we need in the industry of information security and cybersecurity. And it's just making people aware of that and giving people the opportunity, um, which we do at Finergo from schools, internships, graduates, all the opportunity to come in and work with us and see what, what our day-to-day -day roles is all about. And they develop their passion from there and they, they develop the ability in themselves that, yes, I can strive for a career in this field. I um, was actually doing some research and I saw that you sit on the board of, of FIT. So we'll definitely have to link that information in the show notes. It seems like it's a really impactful organization to be a part of. Um, so when you're, you know, what has been the most complex or challenging cybersecurity issue you've had to face in your career? I'm sure COVID was a big one um, for sure. But are there any others that have, you know, really stand out in your mind? Oh, there's many, there's many where to start. Um, <laughs> privacy, mm. it, um, you know, the changing landscape of privacy has been really interesting. And at one log, I was at one login, I was their global uh, DPO as well as leading their European security operations, their international CISO. Um, and so if I take a look back at privacy, like the whole GDPR regulation came in to really enable businesses to move forward and um, streamlining how personal data or PII data was to be processed, handled and stored. And it was really to support SaaS organizations 
and for us all to work at a global level. Um, I think now what we're seeing is, you know, challenges to GDPR with trends too and different requirements and data residency coming in. And it's been challenging to support businesses understand the legal regulatory requirements, the compliance requirements, the best practices, and educate them on what you can and can't do around moving your data and constantly meeting customer expectations. So the large scale uh, organizations that can afford to keep everything within regions, there's a misunderstanding that that's the regulatory requirement as opposed to that's the that's their expectation or that's the way they want to manage data. And, and I think with regulations now around the use of AI being proposed and being introduced, I think as technology uh, leaders and as people that work in the fields of governing data, we really need to support the regulatory bodies understand the operational impact around technology organizations that these regulations will have and help them make informed decisions about what those regulations should be. There's there's so many different avenues that, that go into privacy. When you go about, you know, tackling that problem, what's your approach? Because it, you, I imagine like you, you could just sit down in the morning at your computer and just be like, all right, where do I, where do I start? Like, <laughs> where, so what resources do you go to or how do you go about that? that process because I could imagine it could be so overwhelming that there's almost this like analysis paralysis where you don't even really know where to begin. Yeah. So you do, first of all, have like I built it, I call it my my pyramid. I start at the laws. So the, the local, federal, global laws, then the regulations that regulate the data that you, that your business holds and processes and stores the compliance requirements. So if you're storing payments data, you know it's going to be P- PCI DSS. It's, if it's um, healthcare data, you're going to be regulated by uh, FedRAMP potentially, the global best practices such as the SOC 2 ISOs of the world, and then your clients. What are your client contractual requirements? And that's your external framework. And you have to use all those external factors to help you define your internal policy standards and procedures around how data is going to be managed. Now that sounds all very well and good. From that then it's it's building your overview of your environment. So you have a production environment, a pre-production environment, a corporate environment, a partner environment, and it's it's understanding the data data profiles, your relationship with that data from a privacy perspective in all those environments that enables you to define your technical and organizational control framework around it. That sounds like an enormous undertaking. <laughs> Would you say that delegating is one of your strong, a strong attribute that you possess or because I, I struggle with it for sure. Um, but that sounds like no one individual person could take that on. Yeah, so that's a strategy and it's an overview and then you have to build an operating model around that and that operating model will have a governance structure and insurance structure, assurance. So, you know, the the SOC 2 Type 2 compliance is a great example of an assurance program. 
you will need the people in the technology and operations teams to implement your governance structure. So whatever policies you set, they're implementing it. And you'll need the security team, your security team to, and your privacy team and your compliance team to give them, to give your operational and technology teams guidance on how to implement those controls. In your experience, what are some of the common mistakes and whether it's privacy or whatever project they're undertaking uh, organizations make when it comes to developing, you know, this robust cybersecurity program and how can they, you know, best go about avoiding said mistakes? That's a great question. And so they, they look at the components in a silo. So they look at their threat landscape in relation to the technology without understanding the associated data profile for that technology. And then they separate out the compliance. Mm. Now what you're seeing is the centralization of the single view of data and systems and the single view from a, a trust and security perspective. So you're seeing the rise of a, a chief trust and security officer that has the responsibility for everything to do with technology and data together. So compliance, third-party risk, cybersecurity, physical security, and privacy, all under the one chief trust and security officer, even, even IT. So it's the single view maintaining that and the ability to govern govern it as well as operate to the controls. Mm. The thread landscape is interesting. Um, I see not linking your threat landscape to your overall risk management framework. So, you know, the definition of a, of a risk is, is that you have a business process or a piece of data that has a threat, that has a vulnerability, and that results in a risk. But if you look at threat intelligence and threat assessments and the threats that are happening, that's a very, in organizations, that tends to be a very siloed uh, team, a very technical team uh, that are doing all of that. And they're not necessarily keeping the risk management team uh, up to date with the various different threats to enable the risk management team recalculate the associated risk and change um, controls accordingly. The threat, the threat team tends to put in immediate controls, but not feed back into the risk team around the supporting overarching controls. Yeah, so breaking down the the silos, which I think can be maybe true of any sort of organization, whether it's technology or not, is just getting all the, the right folks on board and under one umbrella communicating with one another, it sounds like you're saying. Yes. And so that they do communicate, if if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. right now through like um, incident simulations, testing, BCM, but it's their more detective types of events that they work well in. Um, and it's really translating that to the proactiveness of when the threat starts. Yeah. And I guess, you know, what are some of the biggest misconceptions you know, people, you think people have about cybersecurity and how do you, you know, kind of work to break those misconceptions and, you know, stress the importance of security awareness? Because I still, you know, we've come such a long way, but we still have such a, a long way to go in that regard, I think. 
Yeah, so um, depending on what report you read, 80% to 95% of all security breaches are as a result of human behavior. So, you know, there's a misconception that security is all about technology. Technology is a component. It's one third, but so are people and process. So it's really uh, making sure that your people operate to a security first mindset. So that they identify the various different threats, they know how to respond, and they stay conscious to them. And so spending or making sure your program is one-third based around educating, re-educating, making sure people stay conscious to cybersecurity threats. And I actually saw that you took part in this um, Guinness World Record event, holder event, where you had the most views of cybersecurity awareness training on YouTube. How did you know that come to pass? Yeah, what had happened that year um, with COVID and everything, we were seeing a huge increase in ransomware attacks. Um, and at a global level, there was a reach out around, well, what is ransomware? How do we protect ourselves against ransomware? What are the the guides or the best practices that everybody should be thinking around ransomware. So we came up with a way to do part of the October Cybersecurity Awareness Month was was to do a, a tabletop preparation exercise focusing on a ransomware attack. Every business will determine their own runbook around a ransomware attack and decisions that they will make, but it's it's making sure that you do have that ram that runbook down and people are aware of the decisions that they are involved in, who needs to support, um, what money is needed if you decide to pay that ransomware, what's the impact to the business around that, and how do you prevent that? What is your key information assets that you need to have backed up and stored? So it, they're, they're business decisions, and um, so yeah, we, we, we did that. Um, Guinness World Records. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago now. I think it's probably three years ago. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Yeah, it was great. It's I will definitely have to link it in the show notes. It was it was it's hard to get people that are not in tech and quite frankly, that are folks that are in tech, you know, interested in security awareness training, but it was super engaging content. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. And I think, yeah, it's a, like we said before, it's it's a team sport and everyone, you know, that's a part of the organization, whether you're the one that's, you know, in the trenches from the cybersecurity perspective or not has a responsibility, but it's it's hard to kind of implore that mindset among everyone. So I think as much as you can make it fun and, and try to bring people into the fold and understand that there are real ramifications for your actions that could be, you know, catastrophic for the organization and really breaking it down for them in a way that's not technical and speaks their language is, is really impactful. Yeah, and I think it's it's the the lingo as well. To your point earlier on, it's it's the lingo that can scare people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand what this is, but when they participate in tabletop exercises or work with this, their information security teams, they actually f- learn about it, um, understand it a lot more, and so it's it's 
it's making sure your cybersecurity team or your information security team are working with your business. They're engaging them through workshops, tabletop exercises as often as possible because people get familiar um, with the concepts. They understand when to engage the team, when to reach out. And, and that's constant. You know, you, you need you need to keep your pulse uh, to the ground and, and work with your, your business and your employees at all levels. I'd have to say, you know, sitting in on those tabletop exercise um, exercises is one has become one of my favorite things because it's just it's so fascinating to me the different perspectives and the different opinions when you bring everybody into the room, um, what ideas are shared, and I, I literally could be a fly on the wall, and that sounds you know super nerdy, um, but I think that that's definitely become one of my most favorite you know, services to engage in because it's just, it always blows my mind, the different ideas, even, you know, someone coming up with, okay, well, make sure you have a hard copy of the incident response plan, because if all your systems go down, you won't have access to that plan. And it honestly never occurred to be something so seemingly obvious and simple, like, oh, of course you should have a printed copy of that. Um, and it's really eye-opening and, and engaging and fun to be a part of those conversations, um, as nerdy as that sounds. Yeah, one of the things I did at Finergo was I introduced the security first goal and objective so that every single person in the organization at the end of the year got the opportunity to demonstrate how they deliver to that security first objective. We had five KPIs around training and awareness, um, quarterly awareness exercises, assurance, how to reach out to us. Um, and one of the other KPIs was around a security improvement project that you worked on and what I really loved about that is that everybody felt part of a deliver into security first and they could tailor it with their manager to how they delivered to to that so again it really brings people on the journey the journey they feel part of it they understand it they know how it relates to their day-to-day -day role that's incredible. Um, I really love taking part of those conversations, or as I said, being a fly in the wall. And so, we're, you know, we're kind of running up at the end of our time. But when, you know, last question here, when, where do you, what resources are you leveraging today, you know, to continue to hone your skills? And I'm sure there's a lot of them, but is there a certain organization or resource that you continually find yourself going back to? Or what does that look like in your day to day? I'm constantly looking at your website website around the threat intelligence for um, your your updates. What I like about your platform and your product offering, as I said, it gives me a single view of threat intelligence. Um, I definitely love sitting down and speaking to other CISOs uh, and being part of that at a global level to understand what are challenges people are facing, particularly around the threat landscape. Um, I do guess I get a lot of emails and I don't have time to go through them. I find myself more and more watching snippets of videos mm. for, for key messages. Yeah. And obviously yeah. I'm very conscious of the, the, the link that I click. Right. Yes. <laughs> well. <making> sure. <laughs> but it, it's legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Strong asterisk on that for folks listening. Um, and in all your your free time, you know, when you're not, free time? yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, are there any other, you know, outside hobbies that you pursue that um, out of your work with cybersecurity or that you think help, you know, shape your role as a CISO? 
I am actually studying to be a professional coach at the moment and I'm loving every minute of it. Um, and what a coach is all about is it helps the individual find the decisions within themselves that's best for them. And so through that forum, I think there is nearly 30 of us on the course. Um, people come from all different walks of life and have loads of different experiences. And I'm just really loving that experience and learning and, and seeing what I can, how I can take my coaching and apply to my day-to-day role, but also to my teenage boy mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, to support him as he continues to, to grow up. Very transferable skills. I, um, I prior to my tenure uh, in cybersecurity, I, I worked at a boarding school and I coached uh, field hockey, ice hockey, and lacrosse. And so I, I deeply miss that kind of engagement for sure. And, and yeah, as I said, very transferable to your your personal life and professional life. So that's that's awesome that you're pursuing that path. And again, all your free time, especially. Where can folks, if they want to engage with you or, you know, learn, you're very giving of your time, um, but, you know, how can folks reach out and how should they go about doing that? Yeah, I, I don't have my own website at the moment. I think um, LinkedIn is, is the way to reach out to me. And I do for Fenergo run client working groups where I, I get the opportunity to work with our client CISOs, privacies, compliance teams, uh, third party risk. I, I think it would be really on LinkedIn or else through yourselves. Um, I'm super excited. I know you're running an event in, in Galway Ireland in May so I have it in my calendar to go down and socialize with you on that. I do participate in global industry forums like ISF in Ireland. I do a lot of work with ISE Squared and they bring us together from time to time and uh, to discuss different security topics and where the industry needs to move. So I guess through either through industry events, forums or else reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn. I do mentor people in, in Dublin, Ireland, in Ireland, really. And um, I guess COVID has allowed me to expand that across the globe now as well. And um, so if, if people need a particular mentor, um, mentoring on a topic or an item, I'm happy to support. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your the way that you give back to the community is is so impactful, and I hope you know that. Um, especially on the hard days, there's there's definitely folks uh, listening, and I I wish I had you know when I first started getting out in the industry that I had you know role models such as yourself to to look up to, engage in, and, and pick your brain because it definitely would have made a huge difference. So thank you. I just want to acknowledge that. Thank you for your for your kind words, and and that's really my passion. I want to give back to the industry that's been so great to me and help everyone with their career. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And as I said, I'm super excited for your product offering and what you're going to bring to the industry. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. It was wonderful to talk to you too.